Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, uh, Longhorn Republic, where we do our weekly post-game live streams. You can check us out there. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who has way more famous friends than I do, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> man, um, I'm good. I think that's a reference to um, the special guest that we had on the podcast. That's right, folks. Sam Acho. Uh, pretty exciting times there. I'll say that. Um, talking to Sam, Gerald, I'm 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 very sad that you weren't able to join the conversation. I think Sam and you would have been friends by the end of it. Um, he definitely bigged up, big upped our friendship way too much. It makes it sound like you know Sam was coming over to my house for study notes in his business honors class. That was certainly uh, not the case. But he is a a gentleman, a scholar, and just an overall good man. So. Uh, uh that that's it that might be the most famous i did know colton haynes in high school all you um all of you uh let's see teen wolf heads and and uh green is it green arrow he's on i I believe as well it was a show about the green arrow but he never wore green so they just called it arrow there it is okay so clearly i'm i'm a fan of his work i've watched it all um (laughs) but anyway so those i have two i guess i don't know yeah, so we've got a special, we're going to drop a special episode, great interview we have with Sam Macho, but uh, because of, if you can hear like the difference in my audio quality, I'm recording from my mother-in-law's uh, kitchen, which, I mean, most people think that bloggers and podcasters live in their parents' basement, but because <laughs> there's a power situation in the state of Oklahoma, where we still a week later have like 200,000 people that don't have power, including, well, the four that live in my home, we're elsewhere, but, so we'll have that interview for you, we're excited to have it. Sam is absolutely incredible guest, but we are here to talk a little Oklahoma State. So Texas did what Texas does when they are the underdog and they're unranked playing a ranked team. They decided to go out and win that thing. So uh, Texas mm-hmm. put together, they struck. I mean, we saw the normal 2020 Texas struggles, but the defense played well enough like it has many weeks to win the game, except I think they did a little bit extra against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And so, Texas managed to take the thing to overtime, and it only took one overtime this time, Kyle. And I think there's there's an, there's an inverse correlation between the number of overtimes and the likelihood of Texas winning. So, Texas came out on top and managed to climb its way back into the AP poll. I think they're at number 22, so just eking in they were receiving votes a week ago. But this absolutely, without a doubt, I'm going to be real with you, Kyle, is pretty vindicating and validating for what you and I have been saying since basically the, the TCU game, where the defense is a good enough unit to win games, and the offense has failed them, and the defense said, you know what, we're not going to let the offense fail us this time. We're just going to go ahead and win this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you – I. I wrote afterwards that I, I thought, you know, Herman looks for that elusive A game, and he said in his presser, I think, in the week leading up to it, that it wasn't since the Utah uh, Alamo Bowl that the team had played a full all phases of the game A-level performance. And I think the defense was good enough and did so much with the turnovers that if the offense could have um, met them on that level, this could have been their first A game. Um, but, you know, they needed every bit of – 
field position that the defense gave them, turnovers to stop momentum, holding them to field uh, Oklahoma State to field goals. Um, you know, special teams plays all over the place. I mean, they, the offense. We said in our live stream afterwards, they did enough. They they to their credit, they the other two units kept them in the game and they did enough in the winning time, which has kind of been a trend here for a couple of weeks. But um, I mean, all in all, right. It's a, it's a very good win. I, I think we both said we didn't necessarily think that Oklahoma state was probably a top five, six team in the country. But I mean, I think they certainly are like a top 15 team in the country right now. I think they, they definitely have uh, a, a, they're going to give someone fits in a bowl game at the end of the season. They're definitely a, a talented um, team, but I mean, I think the idea that they're they're knocking off an Alabama, uh, Clemson, Ohio State caliber, and Oklahoma State probably was a jump, and probably that offensive performance would not have allowed them. But again, we're not here to to rain on this this parade. I think we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about how they got there, and, and hopefully be able to take some things away of. Um, what we see, what we know, and hopefully what the coaches uh, are finding out about them as well. But, I mean, all in all, defense, special teams, I think you have to start there with with kudos for both of those units. Absolutely. I think the the, the defense, and, and Kyle, I hate to keep saying, like, this is what we said a week ago, but, like, we, right. we talked about it in our preview, and I think the defense uh, absolutely delivered and made us look like geniuses. Go back and listen to our Thursday show from last week. <laughs> but it, it seemed like the defense schemed in such a way where – they decided to hold Chuba Hubbard to just 72 yards. Like they clamped down on the run game. They kind of really forced Spencer Sanders to beat you with his arm. And when that happens, the advantage goes to the defense. When you create a one dimensional team, which Oklahoma state absolutely was on Saturday, that pendulum swings to the defense. And so Spencer Sanders, incredible athlete, incredible playmaker with his feet. We saw it again on Saturday. I think it was what 11 rushes for almost 50 yards, but like, there's also what what you've dubbed, and I think it's beautiful, the, the Sanders tax, right? Where he mm. is able to make plays with his feet, but he also has a penchant to throw an interception. And Texas took advantage of that. For the first time this season, Texas actually took advantage of a turnover. I gasped. Uh, Texas also forced three fumbles in this game. Joseph Osai had himself a little bit of a performance. So I think for when you look at the Texas defense, I think, you have to start with the game plan and what Texas decided to do. And they said, you know what? We're going to have D overshown basically be Spencer Sanders shadow the entire game. Yeah. Who's the fastest linebacker we have? Oh, the guy who used to yeah. play safety, the five star safety yeah. that we moved down to linebacker. And so he spied him the whole game and that turned out to be a good decision. D overshown. And I tweeted it and I normally don't cuss on our Twitter feed, but D overshown is a real a linebacker. Like that dude absolutely <laughs> has made the transition, made the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, and he showed it out on Saturday. And I think as a, with a unit that really needed a ton of help, him finally maturing into that linebacker and kind of being a playmaker for Texas in a way that they so desperately needed against Oklahoma State uh, was one of the big differentiators. That linebacker unit, I think, if you especially if you include Osai in it, um, turned out to be a strength, I think, in a lot of ways for Texas. I'm going to include Osai in our defensive line for for a sake of argument here in a, in a moment. But I will say that I thought this was the best game that if you, if you put him in it, certainly, but even without it, that um, Juwan Mitchell and Overshaw have played together as a linebacking unit. I think certainly we said that after the Baylor game that, hey, this looks promising. They look like they're figuring something out. So if this is the trend, I mean, guys, again, we hate to toot our own horn. You know Gerald and I despise it. But if you listen to 
literally any of our podcasts dating back through this entire pandemic and before we have talked about this defense will be as good as the linebacking unit allows them to be. Um, and so I think yep. what you just said about that was, was true. Um, but I think like you said, the game, my two MVPs, obviously number one, Joseph Osa, I'm putting him with a defensive line for the, the sake of this, uh, this piece. And then uh, Chris Ash, right? I think the game plan, and you're going to say, well, he gave up that many yards, but you had to pick a poison, right? I mean, they have so much talent at the skill positions. You had to, you have to give something up to take something away. You can't just play a base defense and stop Chuba Hubbard, a, a Spencer Sanders scramble, and Tylen Wallace. And they basically gave Wallace, and he went off. And, and he's so talented, probably the most talented receiver they'll face all season. And he, he absolutely looked like it. He went off. But, again, you, you it, we called it the Spencer Sanders test. It was the most volatile path. By putting the ball in his hands, taking kind of his feet away, you said that the, the 50 yards rushing for sure. You got most of that on a 35-yarder, which was beautiful, and that was a time when it was actually poor Mitchell who got shook out of his socks. He was, he was spining. But outside of that, he had 10 rushes for 13 yards the entire game, and they sacked him so much that his stats at the end of the day say he only had 11 net yards, which is utterly fantastic um, for a guy who can easily top 100 yards on any given day and break out. But I, I, I'm going to say it right here. I want to I want to say this it, towards the beginning of our podcast so we know it. This was one of the better defensive line performance I've seen in probably seven, eight, nine years, you know, just as an entire unit. And then Gerald and I said kind of sneakily in the in our season preview that there's a lot of talk about the receivers, of course, and the depth there. Obviously, we know what Sam is at, at you know, quarterback, but there is an argument to me made that our defensive line is our most talented unit, and this is that game. When we talked about and made that statement, this is the game that we envisioned. I don't know that anyone envisioned specifically the game that Joseph Osai had, because let's take just a moment to pause. Unbelievable from that man. Just the effort, the putting yourself in winning positions, the making plays at every opportunity, chasing people down, getting to the quarterback, taking, again, an electric quarterback. He made multiple open field tackles that if he doesn't make it, Sanders probably has another 20, 30 yards, or who knows, Um and and that's so huge. Those yards that you don't see uh, that were erased by him are, are incredible. But I mean, we'll just read that uh, that stat line out. He had he had twelve tackles, six. Uh, I think some sources had seven, but six at least for a loss. Um, three three and a half sacks, forced fumble, fumble recovery. I mean, the, the the guy literally was just was everywhere. I mean, and so give all the credit to Ash, he schemed it, but then they had to go out and execute it, and that defense fed off the energy that Osai and that defensive line provided. Absolutely. I, I mean, Joseph Osai did, did something on Saturday with, with his stat line that I think only like nine players have done in the last 20 years of Power 5 college football. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this now, like, enjoy him while he's still here because I will be yeah. absolutely shocked if that guy doesn't go to the NFL draft because he is absolutely the type of the type of rusher and the type of defender that gets paid ridiculous amounts of money in the NFL. The NFL pays for two things or one thing really it's people that can affect the passing game regardless of the side of the ball right left tackles quarterbacks wide receivers cornerbacks and edge rushers and, and Joseph Osai is easily one of the best, if not the best edge rusher uh, in the conference, if not the country, right? He's, he's one of those guys. He's you have, you have guys like, um, you know, NFL draft scouts that are out there salivating and follow them on Twitter, right? Like mm. they're, they are salivating over Joseph Osai. And I think we saw, uh, and, and 
there are plays on Saturday that Joseph Osai made that no other player on the team can make because of his sure. combination of physical attributes, his motor, and just the way that he plays the game. Like, I I don't know if I've seen somebody bend the edge like Joseph Osai yeah. does, bending the edge, kind of coming off of the tackle and immediately turning your route toward the quarterback. Um, bending the edge like that is just something that – it's taught, but there are people that are just naturally good at it and who are fluid yeah. at it. The way that they move their shoulders, the way that they move their hips. And he's a guy that does that. And then his like the guy's got the guy has got stretch arm strong situation going with his <laughs> arms. And and there were times where because he's able, because he's so um he's got such a, a long frame, he was able to make plays that again, I don't think anybody else on this team can make. And so um we could fawn over right. Joseph Osai for another 12 and a half years. We could give enough, the same number of years to the same number of tackles that he had uh, on Saturday. But we do need to talk about the rest of the defense because the rest of the defense um, did, yeah. did, they were good. They were really good. I think we we, ha- we can talk about the defensive line, I think, quite a bit as well. Because, again, Osai, it, you never, I never know where to sort him, right? Because he's like that hybrid, right? It's literally a hybrid position. Yeah. So he's, he's a sta- he's, is he a stand-up D-end or is he, a, is he, a, is he a at the line linebacker, whatever. But the rest, like, like TQ flashed and showed out. Like, it wasn't just the fumble, mm-hmm. uh, fumble recovery where I was worried that he, like, fell on his head and was concussed based on the way he was running off the field. Side note. <laughs> Texas players, if you're listening, let's end the practice of slapping a guy on the helmet after a play, yeah. especially if he just landed on his dome. Because I was like, oh, TQ might be gone for this. But like three and a half of his five tackles on the day were tackles for loss. Yep. Three and a half of his, again, 70% of his tackle production on the day was tackle was a tackle for loss. Uh, and that like T sweat was the other half of that sack if memory serves. Uh, but like, like that's a guy that we were expecting to turn the corner and a guy that we we're expecting to really be a, be a key player for the Texas defense. And, and that's the kind of game that when, when we talked about him as a guy to watch, we talked about him as a guy to, to keep an eye on that. This is again, you said it already. This is the game that we thought about. This is the game that we identified. This is the type of play yeah. that we wanted to see from a guy that, that all the rest of his teammates, were all over his his talent and his ability to perform. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, obviously, I think TQ, the fumble rumble was the the one of the most fun parts of the game for me in a very exciting game, obviously, um, but just played in the backfield. But I think, you know, you, you have to give credit to Kobe Jones, a guy who we have liked, we've wanted to see, has maybe gone ahead and staked himself as our, our number two um, pass rusher, edge rusher, you know, in, in the, the idea of if he's just pinning his ears back uh, and you have Osai on the other side, that's, that's very dangerous. And, and um, when, when Graham is playing that way, right. And, and Graham himself getting in the back, but Alfred Collins came in and had three tackles, two of them solo uh, more Ojimo, I thought was, was good. He had, um, he had a chase down on a screen play where you said no one could do it. A guy who's probably 40 pounds heavier than Joseph Osai was running step for step with him to chase down like four two forty Chuba Hubbard, um, which I thought was amazing. So um, just that hustle, that swarming to the ball um, from from the entire line. And I think obviously you give you give credit to to we always appreciate it, but not necessarily every fan does the kind of linchpin of a defensive line where you have guys flying 
and getting to the ball, but holding up against the run and uh, not letting the pocket collapse around a quarterback is, is big Keandre Coburn and just using that size to kind of hold multiple blockers and keep that pocket in the middle. So I just a, a unit performed a plus plus, I mean, perfect there, but the defense is, is a little wider than that. We talked about the linebackers and their kind of progression in this game. We obviously have talked about the line. We do have to talk about the defensive backs, but again, I go back to this was as much by design as, as, as by, poor execution, right? And there were things that I would have obviously loved to be better. There were some some kind of busted coverages um, on some of that, you know, when, when you run that that man quarters and you just have your section of the field, if you get dragged even a little bit, guys can be can be wide open, right? If if they're, you know, beyond your your underneath help. But it can look ugly. And it did uh, there was one drive that I think Sanders hit consecutive passes to a receiver with no one within 15 yards of him. I think it was the same receiver, in fact. But um, it, it, I think that might have even been their first or second drive. But I, I'm just saying there was multiple points where it, it didn't look good. But Ash in stopping Chuba, you had to keep guys near the line. Ash in spying Spencer Sanders, you had to take a guy away from help over the top. So they really were in cover one, maybe had, you know, one safety over the top to, to play the entire field. Um, but that's that's really tough um, with, with a really, you know, again, when you talk about Tylen Wallace, like most teams in the country would not actively choose to cover him one-on-one. If, if he doesn't have Chuba and, and a running quarterback like Spencer Sanders, no one chooses to do that. But he obviously ate, and he he abused just about every defensive back. I think Jamison had a almost interception when he was covering him, covered him well once. Um, I think Thompson had a, had a covered him deep once and got a, his hands on a ball um, that, that counted as a pass breakup. Uh, I mean, I think... Otherwise, it was tough. Uh, Jalen Green, to his credit, got an INT. He also got posterized with an unbelievable over his head Wallace catch. So again, it's were the defensive backs perfect? No, but did they play pretty well considering the scheme? Literally said, "You're on an island. Good luck." Um, yeah, I, would I like to see that be better? Of course, of course. There was multiple plays that if they, you know, just turn around and, and look back at the ball, maybe they don't get the pass interferences that led to at least, I think, three first down conversions. Admittedly, some pretty light calls there that were tough to to swallow. But you know, and and maybe they get back and can can put a hand on a ball. But but when you have a guy, I don't think people understand how difficult it is to cover Tylen Wallace. We said in this podcast that a Colin Johnson jump ball is a 60, 40, 70, 30 jump ball. A Tylen Wallace jump ball, he's five inches shorter than Colin Johnson, is exactly, if not more, more dangerous than a Colin Johnson jump ball, and he's only six foot or six one. He's just that good at last-minute separation, contorting his body, getting his hands, high-pointing the ball, jumping, and just sure-handedness. I mean, you saw all of those things on his multiple catches. So you take out basically... 200 yards of Spencer Sanders 400 are just to the best receiver in the Big 12 again a first round draft talent in in the NFL in this upcoming draft um and it's not as bad as the initial knee-jerk reaction yeah and, and I think you know to sum up what you what you said Kyle is like the defensive game plan was let Chuba and Tylen get theirs and shut everything else down and I think that's that's the reality of the situation is and and again we said it in our preview like when when Oklahoma State does well it's a game where where Thailand has one twenty five and Chuba has one forty right and the fact that yeah. Texas somehow improved on their yards per carry average from last year and held Chuba to two point nine yards per carry and when you look at you know you talked about putting defenders on an island Thailand Wallace is going to beat anybody. Like, anybody in the country, if you put him one-on-one on Tyler Wallace, he's probably going to win that matchup. But when you look at Oklahoma State's second guy, 
right? Second leading receiver is Dylan Stoner, who had four receptions for 23 yards, 28 of which came on one reception. So for the other three receptions he had, he averaged eight yards, eight yards per reception on the other three receptions he had. The second guy, the the third guy, uh, Braden Johnson, three receptions, 52 yards, 41 of which came on one catch. So he had really... Again, one big one and then two receptions for five-ish, five-and-a-half yards per reception. So I think mm-hmm. uh, we it's, it's easy to look at Spencer Sanders' numbers. It's easy to look at Tylen Wallace's numbers as we talk about how well the defense it, it did and say, but, but, but look at that. And, but I think when you look at what, Oklahoma, what Texas was going to do to Oklahoma State and what Texas decided, and that's, I think that's the key thing. Right when the defense decides what the offense is going to do, that's a win for the yes. defense. And the defense decided that Oklahoma State was going to be a pass-first team, and that more than anything else is why Joseph Osai had the game he had. Because when Joseph Osai knows you're going to drop back forty times a game, that brother's going to pin his ears back and he's going to bend the edge like nobody else can. He's going to drop his shoulder and beat every offensive tackle he lines up against, and then feast on a running back that tries to chip him and sack your quarterback what six times or three times mm-hmm. and tackle have six tackles for a loss. So like that, that to me is why this was a win for the defense because the Texas yeah. defense was able to come out and dictate to Oklahoma state. This is what you're going to do. And that's bully ball. And when you play bully ball on defense in the big 12, that's how you win games. Like we're going to dictate to you what you do. And then we're going to, we're going to adjust our game plan accordingly. And that is why this defense is, is the unit to watch as the season progresses. I agree with you completely, Gerald. We've been saying it on here, playing winning football in the Big 12, holding them to field goals, which they did multiple times in the red zone. Like Holding the defense to field is a win enough. But I don't even think if you asked Ash before the game when you he, he I hopefully didn't confide this in you and said, Gerald, I'm going to do this. This is going to be our strategy. I don't even think he could have envisioned that it worked as well as, hey, put the ball on Spencer Sanders, take his feet away, make him throw it. He has a propensity as a sophomore to throw the ball up. I mean, there were, there were three fumbles, one interception, and could have easily been one or two additional interceptions. I don't think the the capitalization rate of that, you know, would be even expected that you get four turnovers out of that. That's a that's a brilliant day for any defense. But again, when you bully ball and you dictate what an offense can do and you put it in the hands of the guy who's absolutely, you know, a, a player and will be dangerous at Texas for multiple years having to face him and he'll get better at some of these decision-making things I think as he matures, but as a sophomore, you say, "All right, maybe we take the the you know two away, and we see what we can stop here." And also, we know he turns the ball over. Kyle and Gerald both put it in their pods for Damas. Um, you know, maybe listen to the podcast. And Chris, I appreciate it. You know, feel free to DM us. But um, the fact that it worked that well to four turnovers, like again, you have to be elated. That's just that's dictating what you want is one thing, but then dictating and then it executing and working just so perfectly. It's, I mean. To me, we don't have to spend any more time talking about the defense because we've said it all. That's that's exactly how you hope you win a Big 12 defensive game. So moving to the offensive side of the ball, it was it was a less than stellar performance, Kyle. I don't know how else to say it. Um, the Texas offense, I just I don't know what to make of this offensive game plan. I don't know what to make. It seems like Sam Ellinger is probably hurt. 
Uh, that probably has something to do with it, the way that he's uh, missing on some passes that he would normally hit on. Um, it's just, it's the offense, the offense is weird. And, and, you know, Tom Herman was asked about it during his Tuesday press conference. It was on Tuesday this week, um, how much hand he has in, in the offensive game plan. And he said none. And I spit out what I was <laughs> drinking when I heard that, because there's absolutely no way that Mike Yersich suffers from Beck Herman syndrome. There's no way that Mike Yersich suffers from uh, turtling in the third quarter, right? Like, you bring in Mike Yersich to run this offense and go wide open, and then what they put on the field looks nothing like that, and we'll talk later about what that's doing to recruiting. But, like, Sam was Sam was good. Sam, I mean, fourth quarter Sam was fourth quarter Sam, but quarters one, through one two, three mm-hmm. Sam was, was a little questionable. And so I think, you know, you saw Sam Ellinger's 18 game, uh, streak of 200 or more yards end uh, at Oklahoma state. Now he did throw for three touchdowns. That's a great line, but like the inability to go vertical and the inability, especially with the, like they, they, they can go vertical and then they can do nothing else really is actually what I think it is and why the yardage is not there. But I mean, Sam, Sam did what Sam did at the end of the game. And, and I'm not, don't hear me disparaging Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger is second in school history in game winning drives. So like if there's any, anybody, um, that we need to love and respect, it's, it's Samuel L Ellinger. But like the fact that the offense isn't good enough for four quarters that he has to get put together game winning drives that he has to have. I, I think he has what nine in his career and two of them came this year in, in the, in two mm. of the three conference wins. So like there's something is wrong and I just don't know what to do about this offense. That's still, again, we're seven games into the season. Doesn't know what it's, what it's trying to do on offense. Yeah, and, and and you know you, you can you can blame execution. I think we we can talk about the offensive line and what what wasn't there multiple times. I think Sam was sacked three or four times on first down. Um, that just sets you up for really tough drives, right? You you don't convert. You know you're you're two of fifteen on third down, which is the stat you keep seeing um, because it is a terrible stat. Um, but you don't commit. You know you don't convert that few third downs without losing plays on first and second down. Right. Um, you, you know, uh, to me, I think the offensive line and, and Sam being hundred percent healthy are, are probably the two biggest factors here. The deep ball he threw to, to Eagles was beautiful, but it was one of the, one of the few times, you know, in the game that he had just an open guy and he just needed to drop it in. He did. Um, but you know, th- there is something to the receivers, not, you know, being able to beat man coverage. And let's just say it, that's the best cornerbacks, um, that Texas will face at least in conference this year. We'll see about a bowl game uh, at the end of the season. But for for the, the the games on the schedule, that's by far the toughest cornerbacks. There's a reason that Jim Knowles lets them play man like that. They're tough. They're physical. They're 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 good. Right. Um. Uh. The, the way actually Eagles got open on that is they schemed it so he he got to match up against uh their number three cornerback who is a step down from their 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 top two. Um. But. Uh, that's just to say, look, Sam was 11 completions, um, one touchdown heading into the fourth quarter. That's, that's, you don't expect that from a guy who's the active, you know, college football leader, who's an all time, you know, Texas, uh, record list, you know, placer, a, a nearly record holder in, in, in some of these categories. Like it, it, he's a Pantheon level quarterback based on his stats. You, you it's jarring no matter how good a defense is, right? Oklahoma state is good. They're very good. There was sure tackling when, when Sam did try to scramble for a majority of the game. I, I think they did a good job spying him and taking that away. Um, the, the receivers didn't get open. They, they shut down the run game after the first kind of uh, three quarters or so um, two quarters. But uh, I think that there is an offensive identity issue. It, it, 
if Sam is hurt and if the line can't block to give you the time to develop the routes and the space for your running backs to do the things you do, you do have to come up with something, right? You have to make the offense at least as good as the sum of its parts, right? The ideal offense is greater than the sum of its parts. And right now it feels like this offense is not performing up to even the level of the sum of its parts. And, and again, you, you can start that with, with, with Sam um, in, in, in the passing game and the receivers. Um, and, and, but I think all of it funnels through the play of the offensive line right now. The, the biggest failing on this team, the biggest failing of this coaching staff is the offensive line, period, end of sentence. The fact that Zach Shackelford gave you four years to develop his backup and you couldn't do that to mm. the point where Derek Kerstetter is playing out of position is inexcusable. It's a coaching failure. That is a coaching failure, period, end of sentence. Rafita Grimai apparently wasn't the guy because they had to move Derek Kerstetter inside from tackle, which this is a completely different unit, in my opinion, if Derek Kerstetter is able to play outside of tackle. Texas is better both at center and at tackle if Derek Kerstetter isn't playing center, and that's not a knock at Derek Kerstetter because you love a guy who can play multiple positions. That's Herb Hand's ideal. That's any offensive line coaches, any offensive coaches, period, ideal, but Derek Kerstetter is a better right tackle than he is a center, and I don't think there are, yes. very, there are many people that would argue that point, right? So the simple I don't fact, think Derek Kerstetter would argue that point with No, he you, would I not. <laughs> I don't think he would either, but but this offensive line unit, and that's why we, we, we have this talk preseason that like they were experimenting with, with true freshman Jake Majors at center, and it never really made sense. And then as we watched this offensive line, it, it was less about Jake Majors being ready to play center than Texas desperately needing Derek Kerstetter at right tackle. And mm-hmm. again, this unit in my mind looks completely, absolutely different. If And again, you look at like Branson Bragg who went to Stanford, which if there's one school that I'm like, yeah, I get it, it's Stanford. And so like Branson Bragg was a kid that if they can pull him from the state rather than Stanford, I think this offensive line unit looks different because again, he plays center and then you have... Derek Kerstetter at right tackle. And so the 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 offensive line, we've said it before, we've said it again, an offense can only do as much as the offensive line allows it. If mm-hmm. if you're not able to get the guaranteed three yards in the running game, then your offense then your offense isn't going to go. Right. If your quarterback is having to roll out on every player, deal with junk in the pocket on every play then they're, they're not going to be able to, to be successful. That's part of the reason why Sam Ellinger's timing has been off this year. And I think some of it has to do with the fact I would, I would bet that we're going to hear at the end of the season that Sam has been dealing with like a nagging rib injury or a yeah. nagging shoulder injury or something, because there, there is something not quite right with what's going on with his mechanics. And, Spoiler alert, it's not because Sam is running as much as he did in the past. It's because dude's been taking mm. hits in the pocket. It, it handicaps your, offense, your, your running game. It handicaps your passing game. And to me, that, again, is inexcusable because you've had years to get this thing done and you just haven't. We've talked about the passing. We, we talked about how Sam was scrambling a lot, how he, he got sacked on early downs. We, we know those things. Um, it, it, it also affects the running game, like you said. Uh, Bijan was electric. He had pretty much 40 yards, I think, on like five carries in the first quarter. He just got off to a really hot start. Um, Roshan, they combined for over 100 yards. But the money stat on this is when they were trying to kill clock in the fourth quarter when they really wanted to use that identity that they've been trying probably six out of the last eight quarters to establish as just a running team. Um, they seem like they really used the Baylor game to try to show everyone and, and themselves included they can be a running team. They carried the ball eight times in the fourth quarter and overtime, I believe, for five. And overtime, I believe, for five. Like, 
that's a failure of the offensive line. That says the defense knows we're trying to run the ball, and they absolutely deny it from from you. And that's an offensive line uh, failure at that point, right? And, and and it makes it where you have to get creative as an offensive coordinator and say, okay, we'll put Sam in a in a in a running play, but give him a pass option, a high percentage pass, so we don't stop the clock, but maybe give him a chance to use his legs, get out from behind the line, so you know it. It just takes away a lot of what you'd like to do. But again, Bijan looked very good. 13 carries for 59, which again, those those yards per carry would be significantly higher. I think he um, finished with just under five, but he he before the fourth quarter, we had carries where he just ran into a wall. I think at one point in the, the end of the third quarter, he had like six and a half or seven yards of carry, um, which was great. Roshan um, got a good chunk, about 29 of his 49 yards on, on one run. And then, you know, ran into the similar wall um, that, that we talked about with the line not pushing. But I, I do think that there was some some pop from the running backs. And, and as it's been announced, Keontae Ingram picked up the injury um, on the touchdown run early in the first quarter and didn't play most of this game. I think that both of those guys got a chance to see they are the, the two running backs. It's going to be pretty much a two running back rotation going forward for at least a week, if not a couple. Um, so I'm, I'm ready to see to see those guys step it up and – you know, work with the line or win kind of in spite of the line. Um, but we do need to keep that balance because I don't think Sam, like you said, is healthy enough right now. And I don't think the coaches want him throwing 50 times a game. I don't think they want that, right? 34 feels about right, maybe even high for how he's probably physically feeling. If, if he's hitting... 23 of 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 27 then then yeah great make it 27 you know uh keep it low but he's gonna have to convert those and so there's just so many things if they get this then they can do this if they fix this then that'll open up if the receivers do this then this one will be open so there's so many things and guys we're in the second half of the season this is not the beginning by by any stretch even in a normal season where we're at the fact that we're talking about can they figure this out going forward is a little bit problematic and there is a trend here of the offense underperforming especially in the first three quarters when it isn't you know uh, hair on fire time um that you know we've seen Jekyll and Hyde from the offense the the simple fact that we're still Again, six games in, saying the same things we were in game two, yeah. right? When, when Texas lost to Texas Tech, it was right side of the offensive line, and uh, you know Sam's t- trying to press because he's having to deal with a bunch of junk, right? Like that, to me, has, um, has major ramifications on this coaching staff. And so I think um, we can beat that dead horse a lot on the offense, right? We can beat that dead horse a lot. Uh, but we do have to talk about a, a bright shining moment for this team. That's the special teams. I think we have to, we yeah. cannot end this without talking about the special teams. Deshaun Jameson might be the most electric playmaker on a team. That's got a bunch of them. The, the momentum seemed to be all in Oklahoma state's corner. Um, and then he returned it a hundred yards. It's actually a double clutch return because he dropped it, then picked it up. And then he just made one cut and was off to the races. Um, so it was a hundred yard. It was the fifth double digit return uh, in Texas's history. And it actually moved him to second all time uh, behind Jordan Shipley in return touchdowns. And so like Deshaun Jameson is, is a talent. Like, I don't think we've, again, we haven't seen since Jordan Shipley uh, in the return game for Texas. And I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, and that's a huge, huge weapon for this offense. Uh, Cameron Dicker, Kept Oklahoma State from getting going in the return game at all. Um, missed one extra point after, again, the most asinine in sportsmanlike conduct penalty ever. But it moved him back 15. He hooked it. It is what it is. So I think that to me, uh, and then Ryan Bushevsky's like week to week improvement. Like that's when we have to call out because we drug, we dragged that guy last week. Yep. 
And we have to when we when we when we call them out when they're bad, we have to call them out when they're good. Right. And Ryan Bushevsky had a completely night and day game. And I'm absolutely I, I don't know what happened, what clicked, what changed, but I I was very impressed with Bushevsky on Saturday. Yeah, incredible. I mean, the Big 12 gives out one special teams player of the week, which is Jamison. But, I mean, if they could have given out two, the two best special teams players in the conference this week were Ryan Buschewski and, and Jamison with that, with that you know, electric return. Um, the, the odd thing when I was looking at the historical stats, Texas has had five all-time hundred or, or greater returns. Three of them have come against Oklahoma State. So I don't know what that means, but I like it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Buschewski had the great hold on Dicker's uh, field goal before the half that, you know, had he not caught a heater that came, you know, on the opposite shoulder of where it should have been and got it down in time, uh, you're looking at a different scoreline, um, just the same as uh, Dicker was looking at different yellow posts that Oklahoma State sneakily tried to um, put behind his line of view. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, Bushevsky, the ability to flip the field, Texas had to punt nine times. It's never great. But the ability to not only average 47 on the punts, but 46 net on those nine punts says he's putting it with enough hang time and enough placement that it can be covered. Um, Stoner didn't really get anything going back there for Oklahoma State, and that's great. Um, the, the stretch of the game between, and we didn't talk about receivers too much, but Eagles had you know the 41-yard the touchdown, and I think that was right at the start of the second quarter. And when Jamison returned his 100-yarder, Texas offense had gone so stale. 18 plays. 15 yards. That's hard to do at a very bad junior varsity level. Like that's so unbelievably inept that that Jamison, I tweeted at the time, it felt like that Jordan Shipley, Oklahoma return that just snapped everything in Texas. I think outscored him 15 to three after that. Um, but it, it really kind of changed the momentum and, and to have that is such an incredible um, weapons. So, I mean, those two players, we talk about it. They flip the field in, in Bushevsky's chance. When you when you truly are having a 50-yard net and you, you're pinned after three and out, at least give your defense decent uh, field and more more chances to take the ball out of Spencer Sanders' hands. Um, and, and Jamison doing it just himself. Give me the ball and I'm going. Um, again, I, if I were Gundy, I probably wouldn't have kicked to him, but he seemed pretty confident in his coverage unit, which had been good this year. Um, but, I mean, I think special teams – if, if they didn't win the game, they at least kept it to where, again, Sam could could win. But uh, that, that 15 plays and 18 yards between the Brennan Eagles and the drive, which ultimately ended in, in Jake Smith's um, uh, catch, were just, it, it just, just crazy um, that that offense was that inept and how badly Jamison was needed. Oh, and, yeah, and Gerald, I was going to give actually – Oh, sorry. I was going to say I was going to give some yardage stats. If now is the time to do it, I teased it in our in our live uh, reaction. But in regulation, Texas had 17 completions for 154 yards. They had 13 penalties for 142 yards. 92 percent as many penalty yards as passing yards, but not so fast. In the return game, special teams accounted. For 166 return yards. That's 108% of what vaunted Heisman beginning of the season offense led, uh, Sam Ellinger offense led could produce. 108% came for special teams. And 53% of the yards that we were able to muster in the passing game was generated or replicated by the defense picking up the ball from Oklahoma State and progressing it 82 yards. Taquan Graham. 
was able to get a percentage of of yards almost that of our running backs and 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 of a quarter of that of our quarterback so you talk about that's your stat of the day of your defense your special teams and 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 again let's not talk about the defense giving them did i i think i put in the stats the three uh turnovers one their, their worst turnover starting position was on the 41 yard line so give it just about midfield the others gerald where the offense started the defense put them Oklahoma State's 20, 15, and 8. That's unbelievable. That's your defense scoring 21 points right there. Offense didn't necessarily do that, but that's your defense putting points on the board. I, I just I, I can't stress enough how much the yardage, the points, the starting position, the field position, the special teams, and the defense are the only reason that we walked out of Stillwater with a W. No two ways about it. So uh, as a Podstradamus update, Kyle, um, you are still leading four to negative two. But I hit on both this week. Uh, you hit on your one. So yours was, I think, Sanders' two turnovers. Yeah, two or more. Which Two or more turnovers. Mine were three different Texas receivers have a touchdown reception. And nice. Texas holds Oklahoma State as a team to fewer than 200 yards, which we hit on all three of them. So finally, I get on the board, Kyle. I, by the skin of my teeth, I got on both of them. That, uh, that overtime touchdown uh, clinched the deal for me. But uh, we will uh, have more football for you on Thursday as Texas prepares to take on the West Virginia Mountaineers. So now is the part of the show where we give some shine to everything else on campus that's not the previous game. I had to change that verbiage because of how we always start this thing, and we down the 40. A couple of quick football updates. Tom Herman, uh, after getting Texas up for the big upset win over Oklahoma State, uh, was named the Dodd uh, Trophy Coach of the Week. So that was um, that's a feather in the cap of a coach who's been kind of uh, embattled for the last several weeks. Uh, but part of the reason why he's been embattled is this next point where three – Massive decommitments over the last couple of weeks. We talked about Billy Bowman, where Texas had decommitments from two of its three 2022 players, including five-star Bell Cow, quarterback Quinn Ewers, and uh, wide receiver who was the first member of the 2022 class, Faison Wilson. Uh, both have pledged their commitment to uh, not being a Texas Longhorn in the future. So we'll see how that shakes out, uh, but not a great look as, as Tom Herman tries to keep the wheels on this thing. But we do want to move on to some positive news. Uh, Texas basketball, Kyle, um, quite a bit to talk about. Senior Matt Coleman was named one of the 20 watchlist candidates to the uh, Bob Cousy Point Guard of the Year Award. Um, and four players made all preseason all Big 12 teams as we kind of approach the start of Big 12 season. Uh, first team, Matt Coleman. Honorable mentions, freshman phenom Greg Brown, who absolutely, if you're not following me on Twitter, do so. Um, <laughs> Courtney Ramey and Jericho Sims, which is a big, uh, big deal for a Texas team that's hoping to make a push uh, in 2020 slash 2021. That's right. I think it, we. I think it also came out the the conference did their preseason picks expected them to be fourth i hope they can go at least one better than that get into like a third spot but there is some talent in the big 12 without a doubt uh this year um speaking of talent the 2021 five-star uh target that we talked about on here we were we were hopeful and, and it seemed very strong texas ties damian collins maybe his ties were more to jay lucas because he 
uh, committed to Kentucky, which is a big blow for the 2021 class. He was um, a guy who we were really, really interested in. Um, again, a potential another one and done, but can contribute in his time here. Uh, but there are is a, is a good class put together. And, and again, if this team can be um, half of what we, we hope they are in three weeks when the season kicks off, it's coming, um, then, then there is a chance, you know, recruiting will continue to pick up when teams see that Shaka is is getting something going here. Uh, and fingers crossed, we're all hoping for him. Shaka is an incredible guy. Now we just want to see him be an incredible coach for the men's basketball team. And I think that could potentially happen. Again, I absolutely love Shaka Smart as a person. I'm, the jury's still out on how much I love Shaka as a basketball coach. <laughs> uh, number 24 men and number 29 women's cross-country competed in the Big 12 championship in Lawrence, Kansas. Women took second place for the second straight year. Uh, four made it to the All-Big 12 team, including Beth Ramos for her second consecutive year. Ava Peoples, Claude Blaff. I'm, I'm not even going to try that one. Blanca floor. Blanca floor. Okay, okay, cool. And Gracie Morris uh, were all the big all Big Twelve selections. The men placed third, which is actually their sixth consecutive top three finish. A uh, half two night was named to the all Big Twelve team for his performance. So big ups to the cross country team, uh, bringing home. They don't do hardware for second and third place finishes, but they they came they they competed well, and uh, hopefully they'll. Um, get another shot at this thing. Uh, the number one men's swimming and diving team beat number seven Texas A&M, which was just absolutely beautiful. Uh, the Longhorns claimed 13 of the 16 events Friday in the dual meet opener. Kyle, anything to say about the Aggies crying? Uh, the the pool, they actually had to drain it a bit because their tears raised the pool level an entire four inches over the, the Jamail Swim Center. So Aggie tears, bit saltier, saline solution gets all out of whack, but uh, they are constant and they are beautiful. Got to check the pH of that pool after all these Aggie <laughs> tears because number eight women swimming and diving beat number 17 Texas A&M to open their season. The Texas claimed 14 of the 16 events Friday. So both teams will be back in action November 12th through the 14th uh, at the Toyota U.S. Open in old San Antonio. Men's and women's golf wrapped up their fall season at the East Lake Cup in Atlanta. Men took the third place finish. Women took the fourth and this is one that I love giving some updates on soccer. They struggled to start the year. We, we, we have to point that out. They struggled to start the year, but they managed to finish um, this, this home season, at least, with a win, with a win, a one over win over Baylor to pull four and four in the conference. Uh, they won three of their last four. Uh, it was a senior night for Haley Berg, uh, Savannah Madden, and Nicole Curry, uh, Peyton McGee, and Emily uh, Strofauer. I went for that one and tried it, went, swung for the fences. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a great team win for the Longhorns. Yeah, the uh, a, a lot of seniors, a lot of talent. Uh, Haley Berg has been great for that. Uh, Savannah Madden, senior goalkeeper, uh, actually was in a battle last year with Nicole Curry, but she won the position this year, and good for her. She got ten saves in this one. Was actually named not only the Big Twelve Keeper uh, of the Week, but was named to the Top Drawer Soccer National Team of the Week. So basically, the one goalkeeper spot on that team as the best goalkeeper in the country this week. So what a what a way to go out your your last game, your senior year for Savannah uh, Madden. But the thing I liked was the goal was scored by junior forward Cameron Brooks, assisted by freshman Presley Eccles, and they're supposed to have a really good 2021 class coming in too. 
So the future looks good uh, for this Texas squad, hopefully to uh, to build on this. They have Julie Grasso coming back and some other talent uh, still on, on the 40 acres. So hopefully this can be a team um, that, uh, that keeps going. Not only closes out the season well in Lubbock on Friday, but uh, comes back next year when things are hopefully a little more normal with the season and uh, comes back strong. The 2021 soccer season should be great. Uh, softball uh, was it's it's hard to call a winner when it's an inter squad <laughs> scrimmage, um, but the white team beat the orange team, I believe, two times. Um, but really, the big news for the softball team is the opening of that of the new fo- yeah. softball facilities. Right, yep. this was kind of a celebration of of the culmination of ten million dollars worth of work put into those softball facilities, and they are like the video they put out on Twitter of of the ladies getting to enter and see. Um, the value that the university places in their competition is absolutely incredible. And really um, I love seeing Texas investing in women's athletics in the way that they are, um, especially with what they're doing on the softball diamond. Yeah. And I mean, I think a big part, we often, we talked about Vic Schaefer, the hire of of Del Conte saying the women's basketball, and we'll talk about them in a second, but we're going to go out and we're going to win. We're going to get the best coach. A big part of getting Mike White away from the Oregon program that he basically built himself uh, from just a not particularly potent Pac-12 team to a, you know, potential national championship contender every year was they said look we're going to let you build this program up we're going to give you the most state-of-the-art facilities in the country for the softball we're going to pay you good money um we're going to you know let you recruit from texas you can still grab kids from the east coast get the best out of the state of texas uh you can excuse me the west coast you can also even where we're at get kids from the east coast and really just build a power here you saw it last year they were number one when the season ended according to sporting news polls so they they it seems to be working, and I'm excited. This is something they announced at the same time that they hired Mike White. So to see it come to fruition here is awesome, and it does look uh, pretty great. The one thing to note is 2020's National Player of the Year, Miranda Elish, did not play in this, but it, it was more just um, I think they they're they're keeping her um, keeping her keeping her fresh. She's been practicing. She's not hurt or anything. But um, also. Uh, Lauren Burke moved to shortstop and she looks awesome there. She was crushing it in both games. Um, Another great, fun social media follow. If you're like me and you love rooting for the softball team uh, on the 40 acres. Which I do. (laughs) Quickly, we'll hit uh, women's tennis. Uh, Freshman Peyton Stearns earned two victories at the ITF Tyler Pro Circuit match. Um, She actually beat the numbers 210 and 173 players in the world before, uh, before running into the a uh, buzzsaw that is Greet Minen is what mm-hmm. we're going to go with on that one in the round of 32 mm-hmm. on Thursday. Um, the men closed fall play uh, at the Big Six Fall Invitational in Fort Worth uh, in November. And volleyball took a week off, but they will have a massive, massive matchup uh, in the Frank Irwin Center on Thursday and Friday. The games are both going to be on LHN at 7. If you remember, TCU had to cancel because they have COVID. So they got an extra week off to prepare for this massive matchup against the Baylor Bears. That's right, and this is number one versus number two in the country. This is, uh, I don't think there's really going to be named a national champion, but this is for the bragging rights, the de facto national championship. Um, If we were in SEC school, we'd put it up on the side of Gregory anyways. um, This is a big one. Uh, This, everyone hopefully will tune in to Longhorn Network and watch this. Uh, I don't. 
you could go to Gregory as well. I, I believe I don't know their their the policies for how much they're letting, but I know they moved. Or excuse me, to Frank Irwin Center to to be more socially distant, so it won't be the Gregory volleyball experience. But I think they're still allowing fans up to a certain capacity uh, in the Irwin Center. So a good one if you're in Austin to check out the number one ranked Longhorn volleyball team, and they do have a couple games after it. But this is basically the crowning uh, game of the season. I was looking at some stats, Gerald. Um, First stat, I think Oklahoma has the worst internet in the continental United States. That's one stat. I'm not going to bang it on that one. I'm going to bang it uh, not on Texas's Halloween performance. They're now 16-2-1 all time. Love that. Uh, everyone who plays this is a bunch of Halloweeners. Not spooky season. But I think what I'm going to go with here is this game, as we hinted to, the Texas Longhorn victory in overtime. Texas has played a lot of overtime. You and I have talked about on this very podcast and live stream the years it's taken off our life, but that is unique for the most part to Texas fans. This season in college football, there have been 20 overtime periods played in in the totality of, of college football. Texas has played six of them. Okay. Outside of, you take Texas out, it's about uh, one of, of, of 25, 30 of all the other games um, go into overtime, right? You, you have, or excuse me, 10 out of 250. So about 125, 4% of all games have gone to overtime. We have done it if you take out the UTEP game, which had no chance of going to overtime, and you take... Baylor, which again, if, if you're going to overtime against UTEP, Baylor, or Kansas, something's extremely off. We almost did ba- uh, Kansas last year. Luckily, we didn't have to worry about Baylor. But you take out the two worst teams Texas has played so far. They've gone overtime three out of their four games. Now, let's say Keontae Ingram scores that touchdown. There's still some time, some things to go. We could have easily had another overtime game. So all I'm saying is we know winning time, Sam. We know that's when he plays best. Just buckle up, folks. Strap it in. Sam may have the dastardly plan to send every game he plays in the rest of the season to overtime and try to win them there. Um, It's a Mensa move. Let's see how that pays off, Bob. This year has been stressful enough. I can't deal with it. Absolutely. (laughs) I cannot deal with it anymore. Let's just, let's either win or lose convincingly in regulation. I don't care which. Well, I have a preference, which, um, but just do it in regulation so I can, like, just just have it in the bag either way. I just need to be able to sit and be a functional human being. So I'm banging the drum this week on um, the most important thing we do every two years, not every four years, and really more frequently than that, depending on uh, if you are, which you should be voting in your local elections, and that is... Voting. We are in the middle of election season. Ballots are probably still being counted depending on when you listen to this. But regardless of who you vote for, regardless of how you feel, um, I am a firm believer, especially as a first generation American, that like voting is one of the most incredible things that we have the opportunity to do and one of the most incredible things we get to do. Just so the simple fact that we live in a country that lets you vote is great. And the University of Texas has done a really good job of mobilizing their student-athletes to do so. They put out some really incredible videos on social media of student-athletes saying why they're voting and kind of just like that whole process. But some coaches nationally had some different feelings about 
the NCAA basically giving players the day off to vote. So they they made a ruling that um, players wouldn't be able to participate in team activities to give them the day off to vote, which I'm a firm believer that Election Day should be a national holiday and that everybody should be able to vote uh, and every vote should count. Three of the biggest coaches in the country, Davos Winnie, Lincoln Riley, and Dan Mullen of Clemson, OU, and Florida, respectively, all were quoted in a uh, in an article that came out on Election Day basically saying that they disagreed with the NCAA giving athletes the day off, the whole day off to go vote. Now, I understand from 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 a perspective of like could they just give them like a half day off or mandate that you give them a couple of hours every day. But the problem with that is that they are student athletes. So they have to go to class. And so creating a free space for them to say, I don't have to worry about practice today. Just got to go to class and got to vote. Because, again, the reason why I think Election Day should be a national holiday is because not everybody works an 8 to 5 that gives them the, the time off to go vote. Not everybody has a job that allows them to have you know, paid time off to go vote. And so making it as easy as possible for these young people to vote is the right move. In a country that prides itself on being a democracy, in a country that prides itself on, on letting every voice be heard, um, coaches taking issue with the NCAA making it easier for student-athletes to get to vote just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, Gerald, you find no disagreement here. Um, I think that's... Uh, the, the make election day a national holiday is, is a certainty uh, until that's the case. Everyone make sure in all future elections you vote early. Take some of that out. And I understand players said, oh, what if I already voted? I voted early. Well, take that time. Go out. Volunteer. Go, go help at a local poll. Drive some friends. Make sure people engage in the voting process on that time on that day. We all should be. I voted on the first day of early voting, but I have been spending election day reaching out to family friends uh folks i know who are volunteering as poll workers making sure people are okay seeing if they need anything seeing where i can help i work today but uh where i could do what i could help um and i think we all should right we should all take a, a moment a second a bit of our energy and try to help other people who may not be as fortunate to us if voting is very easy and not something we think about um making sure that we enable and help them and in the fact that a a step forward is met with people asking for steps backward is both indicative of our nation's history, but also um, the NCAA in, 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 in macro. And so I'm not entirely surprised, but I am pleasantly surprised with the NCAA's decision. Uh, we haven't talked about it since they announced it uh, ways back, but uh, it's come to fruition. And again, good job, NCAA. Kudos where it's due. They finally got one right. We very rarely say that they got one right, but they finally got one right. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at G.H. Goodridge. You can follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Catch us on Facebook, Longhorn Republic, where we do our, where we do our Saturday post-game live stream. We can catch us giving our instant <laughs> analysis. It's almost kind of like a trailer for the Tuesday podcast. Uh, you can also shoot us an email, right. longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. If you haven't done so, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show uh, rise in the rankings, gain visibility among all the Texas podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook them. Up.